Whether you're starting a game or starting your day, you need to pick a starting lineup, and you're going to want the starter from Jack Black. Loaded with the superior skincare the pros love, Kings fans can get the starter for just $10, shipping included. Available exclusively at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB, the starter has four of Jack Black's best-selling skincare and shave products, plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm, SPF 25, in natural mint. Here's to the winning combination for 2022, the LA Kings and the starter from Jack Black. $10 plus free shipping, available at GetJackBlack.com with the code TEAMJB while supplies last. This is Trevor Moore, and you're listening to All the Kings Men on the LA Kings Podcast Network. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Now, Arvidsson and Deneau battle. Deneau feeds the middle. One-timer. Score! Trevor Moore. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the LA Kings. Missing the tip in front was Arvidsson. Buck up by to Jersey. Feeds it down low. Left circle. Cross ice. Moore. Shoots and scores! Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. I am Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Jim Fox joined me on a Twitter Spaces Thursday morning to talk about the win over Edmonton and answer fan questions. There were some great questions and some great answers and only a little bit of technical difficulty in the first few minutes. So now I bring you the bulk of that conversation, starting with when we sorted out our connection issues. So I don't know if you heard that very long question, but the but um, the gist of it was essentially I was very excited at the end of the game were you as well. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, just taking the competition and the opposition into consideration because they have the two most dynamic offensive players in the league and the way the Kings were able to, I think as a whole, shut them down. Once again, leads everyone back to, you know, the identity and, you know, Todd mentioned it after, I think, you know, that that has to end soon. I mean, that talk about that mm-hmm. it has to become a little bit more con- consistent. But yes, when uh, when you're holding a lead against a team like Edmonton, you expect a big push, and I think there was at the end. But until the very end, I don't know if there was a big push. I think the Kings were in control most, much of the way. So I was not entirely sure how to ta- tackle this subject, but it came up in so many of the notes and, and DMs and questions I got from people. And then I saw a thread... This morning on Reddit from hockey fans talking about the Edler McDavid hit. And I don't know what you thought about it, but I am a little confused the next day that people are so upset with that hit. Uh, who was who was who was upset? Sorry. Well, I understood. I understand if Oilers fans are going to be upset because there's an element of homerism. We all get upset, right? Our player... Right best player gets hit you get mad but there were like vancouver fans and toronto fans and fans that i wouldn't think would have an opinion on it yeah no i i I would think that if i was able to break it down for them we can show them that edler wasn't even moving right he was not leading into a hit he did not extend his knee outside the normal width of his shoulders meaning he did not target something he kind of pivoted around uh, did not lead with his knee. I think it was a penalty. I think it was, you know, a knee on knee, or it was a trip of some sort. You you prevented McDavid from doing what he did by making contact with his his leg, but the force was not there. Again, there was no motion by Edler towards McDavid. 
I think you could make the argument, just because Edler was standing up, you could make the argument that McDavid actually created the contact. And again, if you just go back to the tape and look to see whether Edler extends his leg out or not, I think that's the determining factor. I don't believe he did. And for that reason, I think a two-minute penalty is sufficient. Now, if uh, bear with me on this one. If Edler had been a goalie and McDavid had crashed into him the way he did, my understanding is that Jared Anderson Dolan would have been the factor that caused it not to be a penalty on McDavid, right? Because it felt to me like Anderson Dolan inadvertently pushed Edler into or uh, pushed McDavid into Edler. No, yeah, but again, that's yeah. I know what you're saying. If it was a goaltending situation, mm-hmm. yeah, but that doesn't imply an open ice. It just sure it just doesn't. I mean, you you know, it's up to McDavid to find a way through. It's up to Edler to stop him. It's up to Edler to do it legally. Again, I think the penalty would be two minutes. Um, but I, I again, I I did not see, and and maybe again, I you know, like like you were mentioning earlier, I heard you talking that I did not. I wasn't broadcasting the game, so I didn't have uh, the ability to go back and really slow it down and take a look at it five times and all those types of things. Um, but again, I, I'm, I don't want to see McDavid hurt. I don't want to see anyone hurt. But for instance, a penalty that took place last year, which was uh, the defenseman in Dallas against Dowdy when Dowdy hurt his knee, I think there was much more motion by the defender there even though there was no supplemental discipline given, there was not, you know, they felt that he did not stick out his leg to make the contact. Uh, but I would put that one in a category that was much more dangerous than what happened last night to McDavid. So I had a conversation with uh, my dad this morning about the game, and I saw this comment that he and I shared with each other echoed in a lot of different places. It felt like a playoff game last night. Now, and obviously, this is the first matchup between the two teams since last year's playoff series between the two teams, so there's bound to be an element of that in it. But also, the Kings needing to get back to that identity that you mentioned, um, the where it came in the season, you know, the first Pacific Division win for the Kings on the season. But how difficult is it to maintain that level of intensity over at 82? Like... Can we expect even, a, you know, a fraction of that kind of, like, that was an intense game. Can they do that again every night? It was an intense game, checking. Mm-hmm. Checking-wise. Um, I'll say this. Let's, is this team going to have a new identity? Interesting. What, uh... I mean, what we keep. We keep hearing this identity issue. Well, mm. may, do you want to go back to what happened last year? Okay, I have no problem with it. Is it going to be a offshoot of what was last year with something added or something taken away? Um, I think the Kings definitely have more firepower up front. And again, you know, Fiala's the new guy. Uh, Velarde's the guy that's taking steps. Kaliev's the guy that's taking steps. So... Maybe there's going to be, uh, you know, when, when when do they figure out that that balance that is needed between using your new skill but still being consistent within the structure? And, and 
that's something uh, I think that is remains to be seen. I'd like to see this team grow out of what we had last year and expand on it. I think the way to say it is the foundation with every team you have to check. Every single team has to check. I think last night, though, again, against the Oilers, and especially against the big boys, I think the Kings were exceptional in how they checked. We're going to open it up right now. We're going to do it a little bit differently than we've done in previous times where I'm going to ask if anybody has a comment right now, limit it to comments about last night's game. Jim and I are going to do a play of the game and a player of the game. If you have any comments or questions specifically about the game last night, now's the time to get those in. We're going to open it up to broader conversation later in the hour. But, Jim, uh, let's start out with the play of the game. I'm going to start, then I'll let you uh, follow up. I'm going to go ahead and start with Victor Arvidsson's pass to Trevor Moore for the second goal of the game, the second goal of Trevor Moore's hat trick. And it's a bit selfish on my part because early last season – I found myself really impressed with Victor Arvidsson's playmaking ability. And I just bought into the hype that, oh, they're getting him to score goals. He's going to be a goal scorer. And then, honestly, it was a goal that Dustin Brown scored early in the season last year. Very similar to the one that Trevor Moore scored last night, actually, that second goal, where Victor Arvidsson sent a cross-ice pass from low in the offensive zone straight on the tape, and it was a goal. And I went, oh, oh, Victor Arvidsson can pass. And ever since then, I have come to believe that Victor Arvidsson's passing is a wildly underrated part of his game. And that pass to Trevor Moore last night was just a perfect example of it. Victor Arvidsson gets three assists last night. So that's my play of the game. Yeah. Okay. Any critique of that or your own play of the game? I, I have my own play of the game and I don't necessarily have a critique of what you're saying. I would say, okay, I would agree with you. I'd say, okay, yes, he's underrated passing, but Victor Arvidsson is not a passer. Sure. Victor Arvidsson is a shooter. And I'm saying it that way because I see every – these guys are outstanding hockey players. Of course, the <laughs> yes. man's open. They're going to find – you know, it's back to the Kaliev when he first came. Oh, he makes – no, Victor, don't make a pass. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Artie, don't, don't make a pass. Shoot it. So, you know, you're, you're always trying to use your best skills. Mm-hmm. Coach is trying to put those skills together. I think the one thing we know about Victor now, which everyone knew about it, he's just nonstop. I mean, the game in Calgary, I mean, you know, he's going up against uh, Zadorov, who probably has him by 40 pounds. And he just keeps going. He, he's a very, very, I just love watching him play because he's nonstop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, don't, you know, don't, that's, I would encourage people not to get caught up in his, he, Todd's been mentioned using this one, and I actually use it in wine. Oh, he hangs his hat on shooting. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, again, uh, Matt Roy was in the offensive zone on, on Trevor's first goal, and he was kind of cruising through the slot as a defenseman. And, you know, he has increased his offense this year, like most teams' defensemen, I think, as far as the attempts they're getting. But Matt Roy hangs his hat on defense. He's not going to be an offensive defenseman. But he is, what, tied now uh, on his uh, career high in goals, I think? Good. Great. (laughs) 
so then what was your what, play of what, the game? What makes Sorry. you think that Matt Roy is an offensive defense? Oh, nothing. No, he's not. Of course not. Okay. <laughs> no. But he's an NHL player. Sure. Within a system, a system that's encouraging the Kings defense to do it more and more and more. And back to this identity. If the Kings, the Kings looked at their numbers from last year, right? And they saw nothing from defensemen. Mm-hmm. So they go, well, let's go. We got encouraged. We got encouraged. Good. Well, maybe there's going to be a period here where the defense does suffer. Well, I mean, we've certainly seen, I don't know if I would use the word suffer, but we've certainly seen, um, they certainly allow more goals. Um, but that Victor Arvidsson pass was my yeah. play of the game. Do you have a play of the game then? I do have the Victor Arvidsson knocking the puck out of the sure. air. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that was, you know, that's the same, you know, it's, you know, that makes Victor Arvidsson a defensive specialist in my mind. I mean, we're going <laughs> to, sure. we're going to go there, but that's, you know, just the, uh, just be around. I mean, he, he did hang around, which is a good part, right? You mm-hmm. don't leave going until it's danger. You know, the danger has gone. And uh, McDavid's involved in it, so you know something's going to happen. But just the ability to, as close as it got, and at the same time, you know, without knocking it into the net, uh, that saved the goal, certainly. And the, his reaction on the bench, I don't know if you've been able to see it, but um, when he got it to the bench and had a chance to look up at the scoreboard and see the replay, you know, he sort of not rolled his eyes in exasperation, but rolled his eyes in a sort of, whoa, that was close kind of moment. Uh, the look on his face was uh, was great. I, I think it was probably one of these. Did I just do that? <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, you know, he's a shooter. He's a playmaker now. Like you said, he's a defensive specialist. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, that obviously was the play of the game. I just wanted to, to break it up a little bit there. Um, so that brings us to the player of the game. And since we've been talking about him so much, I'm just going to go ahead and say Victor Arvidsson with three assists, that big stop, stopping the puck from going into the net, uh, shooting the puck as well. Um, so Victor Arvidsson, a heck of a night for him. How about you, Jim? I've got Matt Roy. Oh, defensive or offensive, <laughs> offensive defenseman Matt Roy. I thought he, you know, again, you know, this is where, and I, I, we've talked about this before. You know who was really good last night? Drew Doughty was phenomenal mm-hmm. last night. Twenty six oh six ice time. He was phenomenal. But the guy that you know, player of the game, just picking one game. What I thought Matt Roy's play against Leon Dreisaitl was was perfect. And I talked to Matt after the game. He talked about guiding Dreisaitl as opposed to trying to hit him because you're just going up against a guy who's stronger than you. Then I talked. He talked to me about Dreisaitl, who likes he likes to feel contact as a defender. Then kind of spin off that contact. Uh, but all the things, especially on the crunch time, I thought Matt Roy was great. And, of uh, course, if you're uh, sitting there listening to us have this conversation and you're screaming, what about Thousand Oaks native Trevor what? Moore? Trevor what? Moore, of course, of course, you're 100% correct. Yeah. The, the real answer is Trevor Moore. <laughs> we'll give it to Trevor. Yeah. No question. And it's just, it is, it is better. It is better. Anytime you get a hat trick, it's phenomenal. And it's fun. And it's, but, when a player like Trevor, who is immensely skilled, but because he's known more so as a system player, as a role player, as a guy that puts team first a lot of times, uh, because of all those little elements, it's just great to see when he's able to to have the production he has had. Now, going back to last year, right, we know he can produce. Mm-hmm. And get three, you know, his first time ever in the NHL. 
just that's that's better. That's better than Kempe or better than Velarde or better than Fiala. When they get hat tricks, you kind of expect it. And Trevor, you know what? Trevor's making his way to to the point where it's it's becoming expected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so. Last year we heard uh, the uh, the quote from Todd McClellan and Lee. I see their request, and we'll get to you in just a moment. Um, that quote from from Todd McClellan last season that it was partially on the coaching staff to that they needed to find a home for him. I mean, I, I confess as a hockey fan, I have this sort of tiny little voice in the back of my head that says. Is Trevor Moore a product of the line, or is the line a product of you know Trevor Moore plus this plus that? Like, I feel like Trevor Moore wouldn't just disappear if you put him on a different line, and yet he has experienced this success exclusively on this line. Yeah, I think uh, he, I think he was underplayed. I think Todd admitted that when he first joined the Kings, he didn't use him enough, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I think at the end of his tenure with Toronto, I think he was getting to the point where they were saying the same type of thing. We got to start using this kid a little bit more because he, he can do it. And, uh, you know, the power and explosive skating ability, that, that puts Trevor up there. I mean, that puts him in a higher class as far as skating ability. So he has that. There's no question he does. Well, a tremendous game for him, obviously, with three goals. So he is the real player of the game. Although in a win like that, you know, Everybody's the player of the game, Jim. We're going to go to Lieb right now, who's joined us in previous weeks. Um, again, we're going to go ahead and uh, limit this comment to uh, last night's game. Or, Lieb, if there's anything um, that that uh, you would like to talk about the season to this point for the Kings. Oh, this is actually about last night's game. I okay. want to uh, add in, I know you guys each picked a Victor Robertson uh, play for the player of the game. My favorite play of the game, even though you guys had the final word on the play of the game, was the... Um, the pass that he made to Moore for the empty net goal, because he didn't have to do that. He got his head up really quickly. He saw that he had the line, still looked over to try to find Trevor, got him there, and got him in a position where he could kind of take a shot. And he did, and he took a good shot, but it wasn't it wasn't an easy one. So yeah. I, I like that he did that. It wasn't the easiest to play, but he did it. You know what? The, the, we, we uh, one, of the, one of the plays of the game happened after the goal was scored for the hatchery when Philippe Deneau went into the net and got the puck right away. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's a, that's, that caught my attention. So we're now going to open it up uh, to comments from everybody listening, everybody joining us about the season, not just last night's game. Um, go ahead and request to speak. If you have either something that you are concerned about or would like to uh, to talk about or something that you see positively, Jim, I'm going to start us off and I'm going to pull it straight from your comment about Phil Deneau. And that is last season I said that, you know, one of the things that helped the team make the playoffs was the power of friendship, sort of a corny line. But things like that, Phil Deneau grabbing the puck out of the net, um, never mind play on the ice. Can we talk about that part of the team identity where they actually genuinely like playing with each other and like one another? Yeah, it's, um, I I don't know any team that doesn't. (laughs) Okay. But I mean, Uh, we've heard stories over the years of toxic locker rooms or rifts in locker rooms, that sort of thing. Yeah. uh, I'm sure that does exist. It's, it's just 
I, I, I would say to me, individually, Philippe Deneau does fit that. He fits a bring guys together mold. That That's what he is. He, he is. And I think Todd, you know, touched on it last year when we really didn't get a chance to know Philippe because we didn't have the, you know, 100% locker room access that we have now. Now we have it for the first time since Philippe's come here. And I think that's what we see now. We just see his his love for the game, his willingness to talk about the game, his willingness to share the game. And I think that's that's just a trait that really brings him, you know, because of his status as a veteran, but it brings him to a level where he does bring guys together. All right, I'm going to put on my uh, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton hat here. Guys, we see you in the lobby. We know you're listening. This is your chance to ask Jim Fox um, any of your thoughts, any of your questions. Um, there's no call screeners here, so you're going to get through if you request to speak. <laughs> Now's your chance. Uh, but, Jim, I we do have one pre-submitted question um, that I've seen come up a lot, and uh, they wanted to know, and it's a, a, a concern, um, it, it, I suppose, in a manner. Um, there's a fan out there who wants to know, your thoughts on Arthur Kaliev on the fourth line and fans obviously wanting uh, a larger role for him based on uh, what we had heard from the organization in, in previous months. Okay. Uh, who plays ahead of him? <laughs> a lot of guys that are scoring a lot of points. So let me see. I have Filardi ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Ahead of him. And then you have Grunstrom ahead of him. So Carl Grunstrom would be the only guy that you would say, you know, Arthur is definitely has a chance to be more productive than, right? Mm-hmm. I, that's fair to say. I think Velarde has proven that he can do it. Different players, right? They're all different players. We're talking about Arvidsson. Uh, it's, it's a matter of, I think Kaliev has no problem being productive where he is. Because he does get, and we're going to use, he gets the no unit power play time. Mm-hmm. And again, feeling from the way the Kings are approaching it, it's not second unit power play time. I think it's proven again. And just on a side note, if I can quickly, mm-hmm. I'm sure it does happen, but I can't remember it happened three times already this year. The Kings have scored a goal as the time is expiring on the power play. So there's three times they do not have a power play goal. And it really was because the defender did not have a chance to even get back to the defensive zone before the puck ended up in the net. But officially, three times this year, no power play goals. I think two of them were from Arthur. So, uh, But yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's we assume that by the time Kaliev is established, he will be a top six player. No question. Right now, not sure. I mean, he's he has to fit in with the mold. You know what? And I'll, I'll go off on it. And I got to keep this short. But talk to strength and conditioning yesterday about him. I've never been a proponent of a player improving their skating after they're about twenty years old. You, you get into a well. I'm starting to change that based on. I know Arthur saw a skating coach. I think it's. The combination of sports science being able to specifically identify the skating muscles and what a player needs to do to improve those, to improve his explosive power. And I don't think Arthur's ever going to be 
in the category of great skater. But I'll tell you what, his first step quickness has improved. And that will only quicken his route to what the question was, which was, you know, when can he move up in the lineup a little bit more? Because if he adds that first step quickness, the ability to spin out of things like he did in Calgary the other night to draw a penalty, uh, that's going to get him a lot more, a lot more ice time. Jim, I'm stunned. You're... (laughs) You're stealing one of my parlor tricks here by saying that. Um, one of the things that I lean back on whenever I'm talking to people about skating or development curves or whatever, I always like to lean back on the, well, I've talked to Jim Fox and he says that, you know, it makes me sound smart because I'm just repeating your words. But if you're going, if you're changing your opinion on something, now well, I've got to change my uh, my playbook. I'm getting more information on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm seeing it. But we were in the locker room the other day talking to Arthur and said, you know, the question was posed to him, and, you know, he, he said, have you ever been timed now? Meaning have they taken a stopwatch and timed you, you know, five years ago, two years ago. And now are your speeds getting quicker? And I just, you know, I was kind of standing about, he answered the question a little bit. And I just went to Arthur. I said, Arthur, I don't need a stopwatch. I can see it. So, hmm. but again, I, I've been told the player will not change his style. The ch- style. It's the combination of, the science that I'm talking about now, I think that has changed and that's why I'm changing my opinion. I think the ability of strength and conditioning coaches now to identify the specific muscles that need to be trained and strengthened along with, then you go to the technique. So you have the power. Now you have the technique right now, though, I'm seeing about a 70, 30 breakdown. I'd say 70% is due to power training and then 30% due to technique training. That's just my opinion, at least on Arthur Kalia. All right. Uh, again, guys, I see you out in there. I see you listening. If you have any questions, if you have anything you want to ask Jim, or just opinion, if you want to weigh in on uh, on your thoughts on where the Kings are at this point in the season, go ahead, request the option to speak. We will give you that opportunity. Oh, Noah here has uh, raised his hand. Noah, uh, why don't you go ahead and uh, as soon as it connects, and it's giving me the spinning wheel here. Uh, Noah, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself, and uh, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing well, Jesse. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Jim, for doing this as well. I appreciate it. Uh, I just got out of class. I'm not sure if this has already been talked about at all, but I'm going to go ahead and just say it anyway, real quick. Um, the vibe that I got last night in the game, and I'm talking about the, all the blocks. Um, do you think that's a decision made by the team before the game? And they're just saying, we're going to do as much as we can to keep the puck away from. From Cal Peterson, is it? Is it? it, Are they taking it personal because the Oilers knocked him out of the playoffs last year? Is it because we have a guy like Drew Doughty back in the game last night? He's going to take on that leadership role. Like, is there any part of of like the playoff run last year that makes the team decide, hey, we're going to put in a little extra, we're going to get up a little bit more for tonight's game? I don't know if that's a dumb question or not, but just the vibe I got from last night is uh, that was a that was a very well played game by the Kings. So. Yeah, Jim, I'm gonna Jim. If I can, I'm gonna hop in real quick. No, that was not a dumb question because I also noticed that trend in the previous start for Cal Peterson. Sorry, Jim, didn't mean to interrupt you there. Uh, To me, I believe it has more to do with the previous game and how you refocus and you reprioritize and you get back to, uh, you know, again putting a priority. We know how many things happen during a game, right? Four hundred and thirty thousand things happen during a game. I mean, but you have a chance to focus on a few things. And I think that was a focus point. I don't think there's any question. I think the Kings had 16 block shots in the first period alone. So um, in 29 total, I believe. So yeah, but the the opposition also has a lot to do with it. 
uh, speaking with Todd after the game, he mentioned how a lot of, you know, we, we think of McDavid and Dreisaitl and some guys up front. He says a lot of their offense is derived from the blue line and getting shots through. So if he's saying that to me, that means they pre-scouted the others, which means that becomes a strength that you want to take away. Well, how do you take that away? You get in shooting lanes. And you don't allow the point guard to get the puck to the center. So that's, you know, that's, that's what's happening. You know, I think the Kings, there's a little bit of game plan in it. And then I think there's a little bit of the Calgary game. And I think, yeah, I think there is a little bit of Cal who has struggled this year. And the guy's going, hey, you know, you know what's on my mind here? Let's prioritize. And um, it was contagious, wasn't it? It really was. I mean, Kopitar had four block shots. Two, uh, two you know, fantastic ones uh, in yeah, rapid succession. You know. I jokingly said during, I think it, it was 23 block shots, 26 shots on goal at one point. And I said, geez, are they going to have more block shots or shots on goal? 29 block shots, 32 shots on goal. So I wasn't far off. Noah, thank you very much for the question. We appreciate it. Martin has also had uh, his hand raised. Martin, a longtime follower of the podcast. We appreciate it. Martin, how are you doing today? Oh, thank you. No hey, I can't believe you could... You could you could tell I was muted. And and just the little like, red mutant logo next to your name lets uh, me know. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it's your clairvoyant. No, nope. I appreciate you telling me the truth. Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you is I was listening to this on my computer and could not figure out how to uh, do requests. So um, that may be why so many people aren't asking questions. That is an excellent point, Martin. I appreciate it. Okay, no worries, Jim. Uh, great as always. I, I think we're really privileged to have you doing the analysis. I, I love the fact that you are, uh, you tell it like it is. And when, when the Kings aren't doing well, you may say it diplomatically, but you tell the truth. And I really appreciate that. Um, Thank you. My, Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Sure thing. Um, and it's fun to watch you and Jesse interacting and how Jesse is getting better and better. And, and you guys are all working as a team. It feels very much like the Kings, like the whole broadcast team is all learning and growing together. And I love it. Um, my question for you, Jim, is as I'm watching the team develop and I'm watching how they're getting better and better, um, I really – I don't know – like I don't know what – if I was Rob Blake, I don't know what I want to do about this defense because you've got so many defensemen that have so much potential. Like when Matt Roy first came out, we, we didn't know that he could be that good, and it turns out he really is that good. I've heard some people say that we just need at least one more – big defenseman like Edler, maybe a younger one that has more of a reach and can handle playoff-type hockey. But I think some of what's going on is just these defense, these defensemen need to learn how to gel. What is your sense from looking at it? I think some size would help. I think that's uh, – and again, it's – I'm not saying anything and no one knows. But I think the left-handed defenseman because of – just the ability to be comfortable in that spot on the ice, uh, a little bit more size. Again, when you take, add more size, that means you usually give up a little bit more mobility. Uh, that's what the Kings have right now. It looks like the Kings have a plethora of defensemen who are mobile and can move the puck. Talking about the Kings and then talking about the players that are in Ontario. So, But, um, yeah, I, I think that you have to look. Most successful teams have had i mean if you go back to 12 righty lefty on every pair and stay at home and puck carrier on every pair and that's what you're looking for it doesn't always happen that way uh, but 
And in order to get there, someone's going to have to be moved. And that's the bad part. That's the sad part. That's the part that is tough to take because you get to meet people, you get to know them, you get to understand them, you get to respect them. And then sometimes they have to move on. But um, I'm not going to go away from it. I, I think the Kings need a left-handed defenseman and a little bit of size wouldn't hurt. So not, not, not turning into a, tra- you know, this into a trade talk. What, Forget whether they're available or not. Like what? What's what are you looking at? Like a, a team a Ben Sherratt, a Ben Sherratt type. Okay. And he was a free agent, and again, now you have salary cap issues. So the Kings probably couldn't go out and get him because of salary cap issues. Uh, and again, you you can move pieces around and move players out, which would open up. But he's the to answer your question. I'm I'm not saying Kings go out and get Ben Sherratt. That's the type of defenseman I would like to see the Kings get. Uh, a, Decent size, decent edge, and a left-handed shot. Jim, I'm going to ask a follow-up question on that one. Do you see that type of player in a third pairing, second pairing, or even first pairing type of role? I don't think you need to change the first pairing, and I think it's definitely a top four. All right, Martin, I appreciate it. Meagle, I'm not sure how to pronounce this name. I'm sorry, it's M-E-E-G-U-L. Meagle Salvi has also had his hand raised, so I'm going to get to him real quick. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Thanks, Martin. Uh, Thanks, Martin. Meagle, I saw your comment uh, on the Twitter thread. You are also muted at the moment, so if you want to unmute yourself, you can go ahead and uh, and ask that question now. How are you doing today? Okay, thank you, guys. Love you guys. Did I say your name uh, correctly? I don't know. Twitter names are not always the easiest oh, to interpret. The name... The name's Mike, but Mike, it's okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, Mike. So, um, Jimmy kind of bummed me out. Uh, it seems like he doesn't have faith in this team. He doesn't feel like they're going to do anything this year. You know, that's pretty much basically my comment, you know, that listening to him, he doesn't sound too excited about the team. And Mike, what, what makes you say that? Anything specific you can bring up? Well, most of your comments, uh, you know, I'm – I'm listening. Well, I'm watching the games and I'm getting all excited. Oh man, we beat Edmonton. We beat this team, and it sounds. It looks like oh, they're gonna do something this year. You know, do you not believe they are capable of getting further or deeper in the playoffs this year? Um, I think it's possible. Yes, I think uh, a lot of what we talk about goes into the premise of what are your expectations are. So I assume your expectations are a little bit higher than mine. Um, can they go further? I hope they can. Uh, again, when the season started, I was just talking once again about getting into the playoffs as opposed to worrying about what happens once you get there. Um, that's that's my analysis. I think the Kings are better. I think they're more talented. I think they're higher skilled. I think they need a few more pieces. Um, do I put them in the category of being a contender? No, I don't put them there yet. I think they're on their way there. I think the statement I made at the beginning of the season was this, but I expect this group to get better every single year for the next five or six years. And if that continues to go that, that amount of times, then um, I think that you will get to a point where you're once again contending for the Stanley Cup. Uh, but I still think they're figuring out some stuff. I think that that growth in skill and getting better in skill uh, comes with right now they're paying a price for it. Um <clears throat> And that is, you know, you know, that balance between scoring and keeping the puck out. And that, that balance is, I think they're working on that right now. Okay, one more, um, Jim. Uh, has the team regained confidence in Peterson? 
Um, well, me as a fan, like I always yeah. get bummed what when he play when he's about to play. Right. And, and Mike, I, I'll just say this, and that, that it's great. You should feel the way you do. Please don't. I'm not a fan. I'm a broadcaster. I worked for the Kings for 42 years. I want them to win every single game. If you want to turn it into what changes most people, other than my alliance and association with the Kings, is money. The better the Kings do, the more money I make. I want them to go all the way to the Stanley Cup champ. I want not an issue. But I have to also, with my the, my process in which I evaluate, I have to try to to look at it from a non-fan standpoint. I am not now. I think there are certain times in games where you can see that I am still a fan. Uh, you know, on some great plays and great saves and great goals. But um, I'm trying to analyze and um, confidence in a goaltender is very. You know, it, it's. I think Cal, rightly so, is still in the position where he is earning that confidence from his teammates. For instance, to Jonathan Quick, right? He's already there, and and you know, do they give it for? And I think it was a stepping stone last night, wasn't it? That the guys, part of it, made their decision. I get I, I, the block shot issue. I think part of it was. The previous game against Calgary, I think part of it was game plan against Edmonton and their defensemen getting shot through. And I think part of it was, let's suck it up for Cal. So I think he's he's trying to earn that. Has he played as effectively as we had hoped? No, he is not. And that has to change. And it can change. It can get better. And I think last night was a stepping stone. The one thing that Todd's analysis post game was this. And if you've heard me speak about Cal before, is just that it happens to a lot of goaltenders. When you get out of your your strengths, you get you come too busy. It's too much motion. There's too much noise. And Cal was quiet last night. And that's what we're looking for. All right, Jim, do we have uh, patience for one more question with the fans before we get into uh, rapid fire pre- pre-selected questions? Sure, yeah. All right, not. then excellent. Then, Nicholas, you are... Opt, you are able to speak to us as soon as you unmute yourself. How are you doing today, Nick? Hi, guys. Uh, thanks uh, for doing this again. Um, I really was wondering about your analysis of Sean Walker's game so far this season. I know he's coming off that major knee surgery and repair. Um, and he, I think I hear it usually takes like a full year to kind of come back and get the confidence in it. Um, and most nights, you know, I don't really notice him, which, you know, is kind of what they say is a good thing about defensemen. If you don't notice him, he's doing his job. Uh, and I just kind of wanted to see where you think his game is at currently. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think it's great. It's a, it's a, you're, you're, you're picking up on what I'm seeing, but Sean Walker is not that type of defenseman. I believe where he just needs to get by. He has to be an impact guy. He has to be a guy that's good uh, with the puck. He's going to be, you know, joining the play. He's going to be making the first pass. He's going to be joining the third man, fourth man into a rush. He's going to be noticeable. He's going to be active. He's going to be more active than and noticeable than a guy like Mikey Anderson, who's more of that stay at home. So I think right now, Sean is doing exactly what he has to do, which is feel his way back in until he gets back to a spot where physically he can get back to what his strengths are. 
Yet what does he hang his hat on? Sean Walker does not hang his hat on being a quiet, stay-at-home, make-no-mistake defenseman. He makes it, he hangs his hat on making the other team defend him, making the other team worry about him. And, and I think your point is very well taken. It does take time to get back to that after this type of injury. This type of injury is very, very difficult. You might get to a spot where you feel 100%, and then fatigue sets in, muscle fatigue. Then there's overcompensation by other muscles, so it might not be the knee. Then all of a sudden, your hip, you know, your hip muscles are there. Your groin. Mu- there's a lot of things going on that you have to monitor. And I think that's the one thing that uh, Rob Blake talked to Sean about was exactly what I mentioned: that your knee might feel good, but you'll start noticing other areas of your leg or your skating muscles that that have been taking over and compensating and overcompensating, and those become an issue. And you have to stay on top of those too. When you get to the point where you don't have to worry about any of that, then we can get Sean back to what he does best. Nicholas, thank you very much for the question. All right, Jim, we're going to go ahead and throw uh, some questions at you. Some of these are hockey-related. Some of them have absolutely nothing to do with hockey. Uh, take as much time as you like answering them, but I know you like the uh, the rapid-fire um, style. So we're going to start off with uh, what's your favorite kind of muffin? Muffin would be kind of the combination of a carrot cake muffin. If really? I can't go really? carrot cake muffin, yeah. If I can't go a carrot cake muffin, I would go a pumpkin muffin. I, all right. I know I just said rapid fire, but I need to. I need to spend a little bit more time on this. Would it carrot cake? Carrot cake is heavenly. I would not have ever. All right. All right. <clears throat> go to favorite pizza place and then favorite toppings. Uh. Pacific Coast Pizza in Hermosa Beach. Uh, they changed their menu a little bit. There used to be Charlie's. Uh, they used to have a New Jersey style thin, thin crust. Pepperoni, no question, but the pepperoni has to be fresh and bought and, and crisp. Uh, so New Jersey thin crust, pepperoni, red onion. And where you and I, we've had our back and forths about all sorts of goofy stuff. I don't think you and I have ever actually got into it about food. Are you somebody that enjoys criticizing other people's food takes? Like, you know, oh, pepperoni or uh, pineapple doesn't belong on a pizza, ketchup on a hot dog, all that stuff. I don't think I've ever really caught you doing that. As someone who considers wine as a part of life, big part of their life, mm-hmm. I understand that everyone's tastes are different. And everyone's ability to taste certain things, such as sweetness, such as saltiness, such as sourness, are different from person to person. So I would never, ever critique what someone else likes or doesn't like. Well, I appreciate that. All right. Favorite sport that isn't hockey? Soccer. All right. So then this makes this follow-up question perfect. Uh, Favorite Premier League team? Man U. All right. Your man. Do they have – does Man U have a team name? Are they like the – the Rebels or something? The Greyhounds? I don't know. Red. The Red. The red. All right. All right. Well, I don't know. I don't follow soccer. Uh, or football, excuse me. Having said that, the best player in the world plays on the bad guys, and that's Kevin De Bruyne. If you say so. I don't know who that is. <laughs> he plays on Man City. So So uh, this is not a rapid-fire question, but I thought it might be an interesting one because it has to do with not only your fandom, but also your profession. Uh, a fan wants to know... Your thoughts on British telecasts of football or soccer versus American telecasts of soccer with the focus on 
more experienced fans coming from the British telecast and, you know, a, a catering to newer, less experienced fans on the American side. And I happen to know the person who asked this question. And I have a hunch he's trying to hint at the difference between Canadian and American hockey broadcasts as well. I think the one thing that I would appreciate and appreciate from the question is this. There are different styles. There are different markets. And you should tailor your style to the market. If you don't, you won't be in that market too long. Mm-hmm. Which which do you prefer to watch? I prefer the British style because I think I've been around the game long enough. When I was back in elementary school, back in Coniston, Ontario, our principal was from British Guiana, which is basically uh, Brazil, and he taught us soccer. So that's where I, my love of the game started back then. So I've watched it for quite a long time, and I do prefer the the less intrusive British style. I'm going to combine the two topics we were just talking about. You mentioned that you would never criticize a person's taste when it comes to food. Um, I see a lot of people out there. uh, You've probably caught me mentioning it on Twitter. A lot of people like to make fun of fans who yell shoot in the stands. Um, I was a fan who yelled shoot when I was in the stands, when I was in Section 320 for 12 years from the opening of uh, Crypto.com Arena until we no longer had our tickets. Um, And I... With exceptions, obviously, if your being a fan interferes with or endangers another fan, I'm not in favor of that. But with the exception of that, I'm all for fans expressing themselves however they want. And I would prefer it. It makes the game more fun for me. Um, any thoughts on that, on how to fan? I've seen you interacting with people about that recently. Uh, uh, they were. I think the, the question posed to me was how to watch the game. Um, yes. Yeah, so that's I don't know if that has to do with being a fan. Um, yeah, I I would tend to I would tend to be the person that would probably be saying shoot just as much as anyone else. Mm-hmm. I don't know. If I had a chance to sit beside my wife during a game. <laughs> you have, please. I encourage you to bring earplugs <laughs> as you're going to hear a lot. And uh, no, I think that's that's why it's. We know why they don't shoot it because they don't feel it's sure. a good. Or they don't feel there's a lane to the net. But uh, if Arthur Kaliev has the puck, I'm yelling, shoot. I I love you, Jim. So <laughs> that makes me so happy that you said that. You're team one three, and I'm making you an honorary member of team, team yelling, shoot the puck. Um, hardest part of your job? Hardest part of my job? Wow. Uh, finding the balance between – it's – the hardest part of the job is something I, I hope I do well, and that's I only have 20 seconds to summarize a goal that just happened. I have limited looks, but I usually choose the looks as opposed to uh, getting a tweet on after a goal is scored and, well, what about that play or what about this play? Or, yeah, they all happen. There are 100 dominoes that happen before most goals are scored, but, you know, we have 20 seconds to summarize that uh, or so after a goal is scored. So you have to pick and choose. And I think picking and choosing uh, what to do, what to focus on, what to prioritize might be the most difficult part of my job when dealing with replays. And I'm bringing that up because replays are uh, replays are 80% of my job. As replay technology has improved, has that made your job easier or harder? Oh, it makes it easier. I think it gives me a chance, more tools to present 
your point of view. And uh, I, I would say this at crypto.com, our crew and our camera people and our tape operators are spectacular. Some of the views we get at home, I think, are different than the views we get on the road. And I have utmost respect for those people that do the job for us. Um, it just it also it just brings to me to mind to me is and and I don't expect I, I've talked about it before I don't expect people to think about this when we're watching a game but basically every time I speak as the analyst eighty percent of the time I'm speaking I'm giving an opinion the play by play person when they're speaking eighty percent of the time they're just calling what they see meaning they're they're calling the action they're not offering an opinion. And to me, that's the biggest difference between a play-by-play person and an analyst. All right. Of all of the characters on Scooby-Doo, who would you say your personality most closely resembles? Okay. I would only have to answer that by saying Scooby-Doo because I don't know. <laughs> and I assume that Scooby-Doo must be important to the show since they named it after. <laughs> well, uh, uh mm. You know, I think Scooby-Doo is actually might be the least important character on the show, ironically enough. But I see you as a mix between a Fred and a Velma. And I'll explain what that means to you later. Um, Toughest opponent in the 80s? Calgary. Uh, Big, strong, tough to play against, highly skilled, very successful. Um, Toughest, if you're, you're using the word tough. Difficult, that's a whole other thing. All right. Well, who was the most difficult then? Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Was there a player on Calgary that was the toughest player? Uh, you know, Joel Otto, uh, very difficult. Uh, jo- Jim Pobinski, uh, uh, Tim Hunter, they played as a line together a lot. Just to, so, and I, I ended up there out there quite a bit. So overmatched size wise. So trying to beat them with skill and, and speed. And but uh, just that's that's just a. The the team they had again they you know they won once with that group and it's because Edmonton beat them the other time so two two great teams playing at the same time and again Winnipeg was pretty good too but they could never beat Edmonton so you know there you go final question uh, for this Twitter space and I'm sure you've been asked this a ton I see every former player ask this a ton um, what do you miss the most about your playing days. Uh, it, it's, it's something that, um, <clears throat> you miss the, f- you miss the final score. Hmm. You miss the, I don't want to say it this way, but you, sometimes you can miss the losses. You, you miss the, you miss the immediate feedback of how the night went because you either win or you lose. Now that's professional sports. That's not kids sports. That's not college sports. That's professional sports where you're paid to win, paid to win. And I think that after a while it gets ingrained in you. And to be honest, when I retired from it, it's actually one of the reasons I went into wine because wine, even though it is given a score a lot of times, it, it, it has more to do with the process and the journey to get to a certain outcome. And you don't necessarily hang your hat on that outcome hockey you just it just became ingrained 
to understand that at the end of the night, you're going to get a review, a result, and that result is what I miss, just getting that result. Hmm. Well, that raises a bunch of questions in my mind about uh, the state of broadcasting in 2022, but I think that's a conversation for a later date. Jim, I appreciate your time as always. My pleasure. I appreciate uh, uh, everyone for joining us. And, uh, you know, I, I love to hear all the different perspectives. Again, uh, once again, as an analyst, I'm just giving my perspective, which may differ from yours. Doesn't mean I'm right. Doesn't mean I'm wrong. This just means that's the way I see it. And uh, I really do, again, when you mentioned what was the most difficult part of my job, I, I think people have heard me say this before. I, I love this type of concept where I get to expand on it every once in a while. I do like the rapid fire at the end because sometimes I can get too long-winded and get into things, but uh, I really I really enjoy being able to sit down and talk about why Kaliev isn't on the you know, second. <laughs> oh, I mean, this, these are great. They're great. They're great discussion points. And you know what? In a game, it happens so quick when I'm working. You know, I got to move on to the next play. You know, you got to move on to the next goal. And the way the Kings are playing this year, there's a lot of moving on because the goals are going in mm-hmm. both ends. But uh, certainly uh, more fun to watch. Uh, they'll they'll get it going. If I can say this, the one thing I think I'm noticing about Tom McClellan, you can like it or you can hate it. You can agree or disagree. I think he takes a little bit of the page from Phil Jackson and that he wants the team, he wants the players to make decisions on how they're going to play as a group. He doesn't want to force it on them. He doesn't want to be the determining factor. He wants to be part of it. He wants to encourage them. He wants to guide them. But I think he puts a lot in the hands of the players. And in the long run, in the long run, not maybe not this year, but in the long run, I think that's important to allow the players to, to decide by their actions what type of team a team is going to be. Well, obviously, everybody listening to this is a Kings fan and hopes you are correct. Thank you to all the Kings fans who were listening. Thanks to Jim. Uh, Again, this entire uh, conversation will be available tomorrow morning as a downloadable podcast on the feed for all the Kings men. Thank you for joining, and we will uh, talk to you soon. Jim, sooner than me, because we got a game coming up. Thanks, Kings fans.